everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 11, Security in Linux, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we're going to talk about security in Linux, since I already said security in Linux. I'm for it. I'm for security in Linux. <laughs> and uh, w- one of the things that is uh, most oft bantied about in uh, among people who are not Linux users or who are trying to convince people to be Linux users is that it is so very secure. So today, I thought we'd talk about, is it secure? Is it better? And, and, and just go from there. So I'll introduce you to our regular panel of hosts that uh, you should know by now, but uh, I kind of think that's my job, so I'm going to introduce them anyway. Uh, Mr. Chris Neves, say hello, Chris. Hello, everyone. How are things in the great white north? Uh, warm. Warm? <laughs> Very warm. We just got done with the heat wave. What, it get up what, to what, what's a heat? Yeah, what's a, what's a heat wave like in southern Canada? Ninety-seven degrees and eighty or ninety-seven percent humidity. All right, well that's respectable heat. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I was actually at Mark's house last Sunday, as was Seth, because we old college buddies. We had a little mini reunion, and it was like what, Mark, a hundred and hundred and four, one, yeah, hundred four, one hundred four. Yeah, it's uh, not just a radio station. <laughs> uh, and that uh, voice there, that's Mister Aaron Butler, our uh, noob in residence. And the Seth he mentioned is Mister Seth Anderson. So, hello, Seth. Hey, everyone. Just Seth for the fourth week row in the chat room. Oh, wow. And uh, joining us in our Google Hangout this All week right. is Mr. Paul Hawkinson, who none of us know, but uh, he jumped in. And so, uh, hi, Paul. Feels like feels like one of the game <laughs> hey, now. Hey, Paul, welcome back. <laughs> and so this, uh, we're going to be doing this from now on. We record, just to let you know, I don't think I've ever mentioned this uh, on air, so to speak. We record two shows every other week. <laughs> Because when you're dealing with four people across three time zones, uh, getting people together every week is challenging. So every other Sunday night, so mod two for you real uh, logarithmic geeks out there, we get together at 7 p.m. Central Time and record two episodes. So if you want to join us live, that's when you can do it. If that's too hard for you to remember, go to elementop.com and look on the uh, click on the schedule button, and uh, we're listed right there. So uh, one one episode comes out fairly timely, and the other one is a week late. And uh, then we run out of episodes, and we do it all over again. So this time uh, we're uh, recording on uh, July 24th, but this one won't come out until first week of August or something like that. So just thought I'd mention that. Uh, anyway, wh- what we're going to do, and probably on all our shows on the network, is uh, we started a Google Hangout. Uh, which if you're uh, a geek, you know about Google+, and you, these Hangouts, it's a sort of an ad hoc video chat uh, functionality. So we're going to invite our guests to join us, uh, not only a guest, but anybody. You know, up to 10 people can join us and um, try to break the show, um, <laughs> as has become a long tradition on Element OP Productions. Uh, so we, that's how Paul found us, I, I assume. And so he's there and uh, enjoying a, a cozy beverage from the looks of it. Uh, so this week, uh, I wanted to say uh, just a little thing that I was looking through some forums um, for something. Uh, you know, I, I do that regularly in my job. That's uh, uh, that's the primary method of support in, in the Linux world. And it really frustrates me, and I thought I would mention it, when people go to forums and give answers that have nothing to do with the question being asked. For, you know, just to make up a wild example, somebody might go into an auto forum and say, can someone tell me the proper ignition timing for a 67 Ford Mustang? And then somebody will come on and say, 
Well, for an 84 Dodge pickup, you need uh, a 384 rear end. <laughs> that sounds about right yeah. for forum and, questions and, and answers. Then, and then somebody else will come on and say, 84 Dodge, that's a piece of crap. And then somebody else will come on and say, well, you really need to get um, a, uh, uh, a special exhaust pipe if you're driving a 72 uh, hatchback. None of which have anything to do with the original question. And you'll be have four pages on the forum. And finally, somebody says three degrees before top dead center. And then somebody will say, first. <laughs> and realize yeah. that they forgot to look follow, at the comments. And followed by explicatives. You forgot that. So. Yeah. yeah, so answer the question or get the heck out of the forum. That's all I got yes. to say about that. Down with thread hijacking. Well, it's not even hijacking. It's just shut up. <laughs> you know, the question, it, it's like, it's one thing if a thread has been going on for five pages and somebody hijacks it. But if the very first answer has nothing to do with the question asked, it should never have been posted. So, Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, some threads give the authors the ability to delete extraneous posts, but not, I mean, some forums do, but not all forums. So. All right. So that's all I got to say about that. What have you guys got? Oh, uh, there was one other thing. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Totally doesn't have anything to do with, do with anything. But uh, in my quest to be sponsored by Netflix, I, I, I feel I need to mention it every episode. Uh, my children, who are eight, six, and two. All right. So these are young children. Um, eight, seven, and two. One of them just had a birthday, and she'd be mad if I called her six. Uh, have discovered, of all things, The Cosby Show on Netflix. So we've gone all the way back to 1984, episode one. And we've been watching The Cosby Show. And every morning when I get up, they're already watching The Cosby Show, and they want to watch it all day long, and I don't know how far they've gotten, but they've been just ripping wow. through The Cosby Show. And um, it's interesting, as I watch it, uh, you'll be in uh, uh, Denise's bedroom, and the, it's amazing. They're, they're, there's no cell phone, there's no laptop, there's no computer. Uh, they'll go down to the stairs to the living room to the one phone in the house, which has a rotary dial and a cord on it. And it's just it's just kind of interesting the the things that you notice when you're in tech and you're looking at something old like that. But yeah, I was uh, at a friend's house yesterday and I heard this weird sound. It was like this. Ring. No, what? That's a phone ringing. That's an actual bell. And uh, it turned out to actually be a sample of a bell on her iPhone, but it sounded like it was her home phone. She had a a very a very high quality uh, sampling of a of an old school phone bell on her as her ringtone. Wow, that's cool. Okay, what else have we got in the way of warm up before we get on with the show? Well, feedback. I had something. Yeah, Chris, go ahead, go ahead Chris. <laughs> feedback, more feedback. We could use some feedback. Um, you know, send us feedback. <laughs> what? That was feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Us li all, all you listeners out there, do something. Um, <laughs> we can only go for so long with just us talking to ourselves. So, oh, and and let me be a, let me be a little more specific, okay? Feedback such as "great show," while <laughs> while is nice, it's not very helpful. We actually need some ideas, right? What what do what do you like? What don't you like? Be specific, other than just saying "good job." Because, again, we like that, but it doesn't really qualify as constructive feedback. Okay. So, yeah. 
There, and, we have what a, a call applet and an email address and a forum, right, Mark? Is there uh, anything else? Uh, Twitter, Facebook. There's all sorts of ways you can get get in touch with us. We we'll need a cell mail address the they can mail to. That's what's holding them back. Okay. Yeah, okay. We need a physical mail address. <laughs> One, two, three, Main Street, Anytown, USA. <laughs> well, I'd be interested since we do have Paul here with us, and he's been nice enough to stick around for two episodes apparently now. Um, Paul, how did you find A, elementop.com, B, Everyday Linux specifically, and C, the fact that we were doing the live stream right now tonight? You Twitter. found out about the show awesome. from Twitter. Typing. Anticipation's killing me. I can't stand it. I'm guessing he doesn't have a mic. <laughs> he does. It's just really loud when he put oh. through Taiwan Tech. So, have you been a Taiwan Tech listener for a while? You could not. We can see you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah it sounds pretty good, actually. Trying my mic. Yeah, we hear you yeah. great. Actually, I don't because I muted him. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that doesn't. <laughs> Uh, we don't have any money, so um, I was looking at doing a search for um, how to run a network without any money, um, something like that. that effect. Uh, I found you guys. Um, the first hundred links for Tightwad Tech. The, um, yeah, yeah. And the podcast was helpful, and I think I found Fog for you guys. Um, nice. Is that? We love Fog. Fog and, is uh, cool. So, anyway. All right, Paul. Well, thanks yeah. for your feedback. So, uh, Taiwa That's Tech listener found us. I tweeted out before we go. At, uh, started to hear that we were recording, and so he jumped in the hangout. He took the dare, and he did it. Awesome. Awesome. Exciting. Seth, did you post ForgottenTechnology.com? What is that? Yeah. Um, well, I was... Uh I don't remember how I found. Oh, it was like an MSN or a Yahoo page link. And this guy, he shows this just one person how he basically built a replica of Stonehenge, how he raised giant blocks. And, you know, because engineers today, like if they were going to build, like, the, say, the pyramids in Egypt, it would be these humongous cranes and all this heavy machinery that would take forever to set up. And this is a guy who is like, he's raising a massive mini ton block with just a couple of two by fours and some bot and some buckets of dirt and water. It's kind of cool. He'll get it one end started, put something in the middle and then he'll put all the weights on this other end to tilt it up. Then he'll put something over there. Then he and walks back and forth and seesaws it up. It was just an interesting thing. And it's called forgotten technology because now, you know, you would just have a heavy crane come in and lift it. And he um, even did this one thing where he uh, can rotate his building around without wheels or rollers just because he takes the time to balance it out using what would be called uh, simple machines. Uh, so it wasn't, like, it wasn't aliens? Well, you know, that's the, um, it's not really forgotten. It's aliantechnology.com. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, all the ancient alien shows on the History Channel, you know, they need their ratings. So I won't say it's not. I'm just saying this is an alternative. That's funny. Speaking right of, of discovery or history or one of those channels, I was uh, watching a thing about this guy who uh, built essentially his own castle. And he did it all uh, with his bare hands. He didn't use any. Uh, cranes or heavy machinery like that, and he wouldn't tell anybody how he did it. And oh, he, the one in Florida. I, the, I don't remember where it was, but he died 
relatively recently, and and still nobody knows how he built this giant structure. Hmm. I think that was a History Channel. I saw part of it. It was yeah. So, uh, anything else before we move on to the uh, to the topic of security in Linux? Uh, not for me. I'm good. Okay. Um, well, well, let's first let's talk about the fact the uh, myth or truth that uh, Linux is secure in and of itself. Uh, Aaron, a couple of episodes ago, you pointed us at a website called Reasons to Use Linux or something, and. And one of the things that they said was no viruses or spyware or security concerns ever. Uh, of course, exactly. we, also, we also pointed out a few lies, outright lies on that website. But that's a common um, chorus, a common refrain that people say is that uh, that you never, ever, 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 ever have any problem with uh, malware on Linux. Is that true? False. Who said that? Seth? Uh, Seth said that. Expand on that falseness. Well, I mean, there is truth that there is less issues, but there it is false to say that there are no issues. Um, back whenever Element Opie was just one show, I actually posted on the web, I think on Facebook, a link showing an actual malware package designed specifically for Linux. But because it is such a small market share and it is more secure by default, there is not as much out there that you have to dodge, but there are still things that you need to dodge moving. Um, so it, it's less vulnerable, but not invulnerable. Okay. And um, Linux is uh, built on Unix, and, and Unix was built from the ground up from uh, a standpoint of being secure. So uh, unlike Windows, which was built to work, and security was sort of an afterthought. Linux was built to be secure, and sometimes working was an afterthought, to be honest. Um, so it is much more difficult to infect a Linux-based or Unix-based machine. But as we're seeing in the Mac world, which is also Unix-based, uh, it's not impossible uh, because people are infecting Mac machines with, uh, what is that, Mac Defender or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that it takes the user has to do three or four or five different things. You've got to click here, you've got to agree to this, you've got to open this before you can get infected. And it's the same thing in the Linux world. Um, it's not easy to be infected, but it is possible. Well, we, yeah, I would say uh, that it's the the human error. The, it's the human that infects the machines, not a machine infecting machines. In my opinion, personally, um, there's always that human factor to uh, infect a Linux machine because there is that. There is no such thing as a default uh, a, a root password. So as long as you're taking the necessary steps to make sure your system doesn't have default settings, you should be fairly secure. Back in my first uh, tech job, I'm still hearing myself echo, Mark. I don't know what, what I'm doing differently, but um, I don't know. Anyway, I'll just try to deal with it. Back in my first uh, big tech job in Texas, we had um, uh, we needed a new firewall. Our firewall appliance was dying, and so we had a company we worked with, kind of a third party thing, and we were talking to them about what appliance we might want to get. And uh, and the guy said, "I've got this new guy, Boris, that can help you out." And again, at this point, this is about the same time I kind of stumbled across the red hat on accident that one time. Um, and he said, I was fine. Now I'm back, Mark. I don't know what you just did, but, uh, 
anyway, um, he says, well, I'll, I'll get Boris to help you guys, and he'll make up a, he'll create a firewall for you. So Boris comes up with this old putty-colored Dell from 10 years ago, you know. He brings it up to our office. We, I go in there with him in the server closet. We hook it in, and he's like, this is firewall. Nobody get through. I installed 4,000 computers at University of Stalingrad. Nobody get through. <laughs> that was about the limit of his English. <laughs> so how do you, how do you, what do I need to do? You do nothing. You turn it on, it works. <laughs> okay? So what do I, if I have a problem, you'll reboot it. If you ever have a problem, reboot. It will be fine. It does not have a problem. It will run fine. And it ran for the three years that we had it while I was there without ever a single problem. And uh, anytime we ran any kind of penetration test, it came back fine. So that's my that's the limit of my knowledge about security for Linux. So I'm gonna go get a snack. Well, the fact is, <laughs> almost all firewalls, commercial firewalls, are Linux, um, in some pretty package, um, right. or some Unix derivative. Let me rephrase that. It might be BSD or or something like that, but it's some Unix derivative. Um, and and every Linux distribution has a firewall in it. It just is just part of it. But most of the time, it's not on. Um, by default. Um, mm. So let me ask you, uh, Chris, we've had this discussion um, uh, briefly before. Do you need a firewall in Linux? I would say yes, just because you want to keep any riffraff out of your machine anyway. Um, all, my mach- all the versions of Linux, except for the one that's currently on my laptop, have a firewall and it's turned on. If I need a port opened, I open the port in the firewall and then close it when I'm done with it. So, you know, I would say, yes, you need a firewall, if nothing else, to keep the little script kitties from scanning your PC. All right. Anybody else have uh, anything else to say on that? Well, I have experimented with, like, um, Linux firewalls on the perimeter, but any time I'm running a desktop, I've never... Of course, it's always been behind my network, uh, behind my gateway firewall anyway, so I've never ran one on there, so I wouldn't know. I don't run a firewall, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode uh, on my Linux boxes, uh, because I think it's superfluous. The idea of a fi- of software firewall on a computer is to block ports, uh, un- unauthorized access to ports that are open. But Linux, by by its design, doesn't open things unless you tell it to. So it's not like Windows that has every port under the sun open and closes it when you decide to. Um, it, it doesn't have a web browser open. It doesn't have a mail client open. It doesn't have an IRC daemon open. Um, so, I mean, when you fire up Ubuntu for the first time, what what can infect it? Nothing's running. Well, and I put this later on the show notes, but what about if you're running an application that is vulnerable? Uh, would not a firewall provide some control there? I I don't know. I mean, if it, if it's if it op- if the firewall opens the port, then it, I guess the only way it would protect you is if you didn't know, right? Because that's what firewalls do. They pop up and ask. Yeah. So if you didn't know that it was opening a port, yeah, I suppose. But like something like a web browser it doesn't open any ports. I mean, I, you'd kind of have to know if you're if you're running Apache that it's going to ask for port eighty. Right. I'm just having a hard time coming up with a reason why I need a firewall. Somebody talk me off this ledge here. <laughs> you put the firewall in, no one gets in ever. <laughs> well, I think it would be good if you were going to be using a public 
hotspot just again for that added layer of security might you know it might not be required but it, it sure wouldn't hurt so you you uh, advocate a suspenders and pant uh, and belt uh, philosophy <laughs> well if you're going to be on, in a public hotspot yeah because you know there's those places are prime identity theft grounds for people well the to- worst place to get pants is in public <laughs> <laughs> thank you oh that's true <laughs> As we are derailed again. Um, I would say yes, I would have one. Um, just on the simple fact that um, I've seen Linux machines that didn't have a default, um, the default firewall on. And I've actually had one get um, a, a couple of things. They didn't infect it, but their ports being opened because there was a reversed, um, a reversed Java connection. And so having the firewall in place actually blocked that from that that attack from coming in. That but that was in a, a different instance. It was someone who was actually it was a security conference, so they were actually trying to infect people. Okay, so yes, if I take my laptop to to uh, uh, <laughs> Defcon, yeah, to Defcon, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to run uh, triple redundant Russian <laughs> firewalls on beige boxes. <laughs> <laughs> no one gets in no at all. No one gets in. <laughs> no one. You cannot come in. Uh, interestingly, my first uh, experience, I've mentioned it before, with Linux was a firewall. Um, and it was that sort of thing. I set it up, uh, I clicked the buttons, <laughs> and no one got in. <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had to call him if we needed a port open because none of us knew how to do anything except <laughs> turn it on. And we had, you know, we had different things that we had to do over the course of that three years and we would call him and they put him on the phone and it was, it was always interesting when, you know, Boris, we need to open port, fill in the blank 27, just making a number up Port 27. Okay. She's open. <laughs> like, you know, dive, dive submarine, you know, <laughs> take her to, to, to cruising depth. It was always one of those kind of things. That's quite funny. <clears throat> All right, so any then, other thoughts on firewalls? Uh, management, which one? Uh, yeah, well, that's a good question. Uh, most of them are, are going to use, what, uh, IP tables or IP chains is going to be uh, the the thing behind it. But uh, for your software firewall or your, your built-in firewall, I'll say, on your Linux box, we're not talking about uh, you know, Boris's firewall. We're just talking about your firewall on your desktop. Um, generally, there's some sort of GUI to turn those things on and off. Um, is, but you can, you know, I mean, is there any one better than the other? Any, any comments on, on any of that from the one guy here who says he likes to use a <laughs> firewall? Um, for all, since I'm the only one that does, uh, really, they're pretty much all the same when it comes to most of the firewalls for Linux are IP tables or IP chains and the GUI interface to interface with the, with the system, uh, is user preference. I've tried three or four different ones and they all work the same it's just which which hoops do you want to jump through so i would say that's going to be try each one find the one that fits best for you and go from there yeah i've just downloaded a couple of the pin testing distros that i'm going to start playing with so you know in a few months i would be much more qualified to speak on this but all right so what about the uh external firewall if you're going to set up a bo- a Boris box that's what I'm going to call it from now on if you're going to set up a <laughs> Boris box uh, what would you recommend uh, doing there 
I would do Untangled just simply because I know it. But Untangled, okay, that's a good one. That is a, a unified, for people who don't know, uh, go to untangle.com. It's a, a, a combination of free and paid uh, thing, but you get lots of it free, but you can pay for parts of it. And it's a, it's a box, it, it's, it's an ISO download that takes over a box. So you dedicated a box to it, and it is a, a unified threat management machine. It can handle firewall and, and uh, antivirus and all that sort of good stuff. So uh, um, that's a really good way to go. Chris, I saw you had your hand up. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> well, I figured that would be the only way to get in without stepping on somebody. Um, besides Untangled, which I was going to say that one. Um, I've already liked Smoothwall and Monowall. They're basically the same project. Uh, they they're pretty good as well. Yeah, IP uh, Paul, is a good Paul in the room says Monowall as well. Paul in the room says Monowall as well. <laughs> uh, IP Cop is a fork of. Uh, uh, Smooth Wall, which is uh, the commercialization of Dan's Guardian, essentially. Uh, but that's what I use at home on a laptop. And uh, it's a—it's uh, not only a firewall, but it's got a built-in content filter, so you can filter out the porn and all that good stuff. Maybe we should do a, an episode on securing your home using Linux. Chris, yeah, what do you do? Good one. What do you do? I, I'm sure you have some sort of box, uh, or do you just have a little D-link sitting over in the corner blinking? Um, actually, right now I I, ha- I do have a plastic box running for my internet. It's a uh, Asus big old monster Asus uh, router, um, but I'm actually thinking about replacing it with an untangled box. Yeah, I just. Uh but while we're sitting here, it's been a long time since I've had to do any of the of the networking part of stuff. But just I went back to my my roots and pulled up Shields up, you know, uh, Steve Gibson's yeah little pen oh, test yeah, thing and awesome. ran it against my home network just to make sure I was secure. And I came back clean on my first one thousand fifty six ports. So I'm okay. Yeah, and uh, for the home, Boris would be proud of me. But Boris, <laughs> nothing get through. Um, I'm, I'm swatting at a little mosquito. If you, I haven't, it's not Tourette's, I promise. You're not raising your hand. It's not your turn. Um, the, for the home use, the little box that you buy at the uh, Best Buy works really well. I mean, the, I don't really think there's a lot of reason not to use that as long as you change the default password. Right. Yeah. Open it up and change the default password. Don't Which leave it. My neighbor did not do. <laughs> A while back. Last One of the things I've noticed, though, about running like, was, the little box, the uh, Linksys box or whatever, is they can't... The, I mean, now, mind you, my experience is a little different because I have... You know, I'm running my home network on a ba- on the little plastic box, and my mom's network is run on a ba- plastic box, too. But when I switched my mom out to actually having a dedicated router box, my little brothers in their gaming system, they started playing better. Their game pings were better. So I'm wondering if those little plastic boxes can't handle multiple connections like a torrent or a game system. It could be. All, all little boxes are not created equal. So that would, yeah. So Seth, do you have a, a preference, a recommendation for the little boxes? I use a Hawking box at okay. um, my house. I Does have it tell you router. the status like this? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, man, no. But, yeah, I definitely second the changing the default password options. There's been 
uh, I do some side consulting on the side and I do some consult, you know. <laughs> and the show is broken. <laughs> Best place to do it. I, was, I tried to do my side consulting in the front. Yeah, but I went over to this person's I house. On she could not remember her password to get into her wireless network. So I tried the default one and I got in. And, you know, she was scared to death because she thought, you know, she didn't have a password, and I told her she really didn't. And that one was weird because she had never changed her default password, and somebody had hacked the DNS on her little plastic box. And if you tried to go to a security company's website, be it AVG or whatever, it would redirect, and so none of your antivirus software would update. Nice. Luckily, I had the updated version on my thumb drive, and uh, I reprogrammed the router for and changed their password. Because you so, just keep driver uh linksys firmware on your person at all times well no the antivirus software to clear okay. out their machines and then once i logged into their system i changed the password um after i reset the router and everything but but you know i do whenever i did my side consulting business on the side <laughs> i used to carry such things around all the time <laughs> see i've heard of a virus that'll or not a virus but a malware that does that um i've actually seen that in my side consulting side business <laughs> um, as well. I've seen that on a, it was on a business land and they had a, a machine. One of their machines were infected and it was uh, through the UPnP protocol that changed their DNS on the router. Wow. Talk about spooky stuff. Yeah. That Great. wouldn't happen on a Boris box. No, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, this is uh, related, but just tangentially, but I actually read a story about, some Russians, not saying Boris was involved, but they managed to hack um, a certain banking company uh, as a foreign bank company to the point that, and they wrote some kind of applet that when you got this virus, it would um, uh, keystroke capture your password and stuff, send it to their server and install on your local machine. And it would, then they had some kind of algorithm based on how much money you had in your account, how much they would take out, and it would rebuild um, the web page on the fly when you went to online banking to show the amount you should have had. Does that make sense? Wow. So I explain that. That's Whoa. so. That's so wow. you, you, you'd pull it up and it would say, "I have a thousand dollars in the bank. Why are they telling me I'm overdrawn?" And they've already taken three hundred out, but it shows you a thousand. The way they finally caught the guys was. Somebody actually had two computers at their home, and one of them was infected, and one of them wasn't, and they were able to bring it up and see that at the same exact moment, they had it showed they had two different balances, and they were able to track it back. And and uh, anyway, my whole point was, if these guys are that smart, why don't they just get a job <laughs> writing software? <laughs> if they can you know, rebuild these uh, pages on the fly like that and have all these algorithms to determine how much money to steal from you and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, Boris would not have improved. That's because they make more money doing the illegal stuff than they would on the illegal stuff. It's hard to spend it in a Russian yeah, in a Siberian prison, though. All right, so moving on from firewalls, antivirus. Do you need it? And if so, which one? Ready, go. Um, I don't run one. Yeah, I don't run one on my Linux box either. Um. So I would probably tell people they should, but you know, like like most techs, I don't uh, I don't do what I tell other people to do. So, 
Well, Paul brings up Clam AV, and Clam AV is, I wouldn't call it an antivirus. I'd it call it a not. scanner. Absolutely. I think that um, is one of the most misrecommended pieces of software in the world for Windows or, or Linux or Mac. Clam AV was supposed to be an antivirus like in 1997 when it first started, and it never never became that. It's a virus detector, but it can't do a dang thing once it finds it. Yep. See, and I think, oh, is it Avera? I think that's the name of the company. Um, yeah, Avera. Yeah, Avera has a Linux antivirus that you can actually install, and it will do stuff when it finds it. Uh, but I don't think you can install it on, like, a mail server. Okay. Now, I will say, uh, since you mentioned that, I did run uh, Clam AV for a very long time on my mail server, um, as again, as a scanner. Um, I had a, a, a filter that brought every piece of mail in, scanned it. If Clam AV found a problem, then the mail server chucked that piece of mail. But again, it wasn't Clam AV doing any of the work. It was the filters actually doing the work. Um, Clam AV doesn't do a lot. And in fact, most um, antiviruses in general for Linux don't do a lot, as I've seen. I mean, have you guys found one that actually does something you care about? No, but I really I haven't looked because you know I I understand the risk of running no antivirus in Linux, and for me there hasn't been a need to run one. So, all right. Well, that was a short topic. Well, <laughs> uh, so the answer is no. I, I know you there's another one. company that does an antivirus for Linux, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, besides Avera. Oh, what is it? Um, but supposedly it will... I think will, Kaspersky it, has one. Kaspersky. Yeah. Whatever, however you say that one. And I think... Um, well, I know McAfee it? has one, but uh, don't. I haven't heard that <laughs> anything good about it. So McAfee The first thing general, I did on my new computer good. today was uninstall McAfee. <laughs> and has a former McAfee employee, if you ever have the retail version uninstall it it is garbage but uh their their enterprise product um i think is pretty good at least it's expensive garbage <laughs> yeah but yeah oh i uh, i actually took a piece of hardware back one time because the only way i could get it to run was to install the mcafee something or other um product on the on the dvd so i was like i'm not going to install this so i took the hardware back and said i'm not i don't want this but that's a sidebar sorry well if we're going to go on virus sidebars do you guys use virustotal.com never heard of it once or twice um not often that'd be i use it every once in a while when somebody sends me a um an email that has a you know a, a link attachment or an attachment, and if it's someone that I know, and I've got attachments from them before, but I've never heard of this attachment from them, that you can upload anything to them, or email them, you know, forward an email to them, and they'll scan the fo- the attachment for you, and tell you if it's good or not. And they'll also do URL checks, too. That's virustotal.com? Yep. Yes. Put that in the show notes. I'll be sure to po- publish that when this goes live. Sure, because that sounds interesting. I've I've been using it for a while, and I really like it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a replacement for anything, but if you've got an email that you don't want to open and you want to know if it's any good or not, 
it's something to try. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts on antivirus before we move along? Okay. Um, now, this next bullet point is one that if you're not already a Linux user, you, you've never heard of it because there's not anything like it in Windows or Mac. And it's called ASCII Linux, which stands for Security Enabled Linux. Um, and Chris, since you're our resident Linux guru, tell us a little bit about what SE Linux is. Uh, it's kind of a dark art, technically. Um, at least in my opinion, it is. Um, what it does is it, in the background, it keeps track of certain files and certain places in your computer and making sure that they're okay. Um, and that they, and that they haven't changed without reason to change. Uh, I, the big time, the only time I've really ran into a problem with SE Linux is that in Fedora, when you install Wine, because Wine does things that Linux isn't expecting, SE Linux kind of freaks out and prompts you saying, hey, this file is being changed in a way that it's not supposed to be changed. What do you want to do with it? And so it gives you a log in, an act, in, in a, uh, a walkthrough of what's going on with your machine. Um, in the show notes, I'll leave a link for a video that talks about um, SE Linux. And it's a it's too long to go into it's too long to even discuss over here on the show. But um, if you want to know what SE Linux is and you want to have it demystified, that, since that's the name of the of the topic, um, that's the video to watch. And it's a really it walks you through everything about SE there, Linux. There used to be something like that in Windows, Mark. I don't know if it was three one ninety five or XP, and I just haven't used it in a long time. Where it's similar, not exactly, where you could go in and run a utility and it would verify all your Windows files. What was that called? Well, um, there is something similar to it that will, um, but it's one of those things that you can turn it off by default, and um, I can't remember what it is because yeah, the one I'm thinking of is it was a command line, like kind of like dxdag or ipconfig or something like that. You go in and put Windows Verify or something, and it would bring up a little. There's GUI the SFC. The system file checker utility does something similar, but it it you have to initiate that. I don't think it, it doesn't run as service. Let me tell you everything I know about SE Linux. When I'm going through the installer, I turn it off. <laughs> uh, because yeah. the, the few times I've tried to run it, it was it was more harm, uh, more hassle than it was worth. Now I understand it's grown up a bit since then, but still. Um, I guess I'm a, ri a risk taker. I don't run a firewall, I don't run an antivirus, and I don't run SE Linux. But I've never been infected on Windows or Mac, uh, I mean, or Linux. And I think that a reason that's true is because I practice safe surfing. I, yeah. I you know, I, I wear a rubber every time I get online. Um, <laughs> but I, that was the next thing in our notes we want to talk about. Uh, um, most thing, most, uh, of the responsibility for staying safe lies not in software or hardware, but in wetware, in, in your own computer, uh, in your own brain. What you do, it will or will not infect you. Now, I've, I've been uh, in and out of these computers for years. I mean, I wrote my first line of basic code uh, as, a, as an eight-year-old. So I've been doing this a long time. Um, and I've never, well, I, uh, one time, only once ever, have I ever had a virus. 
And that was, uh, Seth, you'll remember this because you were working uh, in support back then, the Code Red Worm. Oh, wow. And uh, I had bought a brand new laptop, and at that time, I didn't have a uh, hardware firewall at the house. I was just running software firewalls on all my machines. Um, I got this thing. I opened it up. I turned on the box uh, uh, and immediately got infected with Code Red. So I went to my uh, floppies. Uh, that's how long ago this was, uh, to install antivirus, and this new laptop didn't have a floppy disk on it. So uh, I was uh, I was hosed. Uh, that was the only time ever I've ever gotten a virus. Um, <laughs> and the and the reason I've done that is I don't I don't click on links I'm not expecting. If you send me a link in an email, and I'm not expecting you to, even if I know you, I'm not going to click on that. It's not going to happen. I don't I don't go to sites that are you know I mean pretty much my church website and my work website <laughs> you know I'm pretty safe on both of those. Uh so uh let's talk about Seth again I I think this is your area of expertise. Let's talk about right. what the end user can do to keep themselves safe uh regardless of what operating system they're on. Yeah, um that's the just like on a side story, when I was doing support and the blaster virus happened for three straight days at work, eight hours a day, I told people how to disable the blaster virus. And I had to like a minute and a half phone call. And to, I mean, so I fielded probably 500 phone calls in three days about just how to disable that virus whenever. And then I had to refer them to some other antivirus. Um, but yeah, so this is the important thing to note in security uh, I'm putting here is that. Um, you know, many of the exploits, they don't really target the operating system. So just because you move from one operating system to the other doesn't mean you're automatically secure. Uh, the phishing danger did not go away just because you switched from Windows to Linux. Um, I found these two articles. Um, it lists the most common applications or the most vulnerable applications in number of reported vulnerabilities. So uh, the first one was from December of 2008, and I'll just run down them real quick. The number one on the list was Mozilla Firefox. So, you know, Firefox is a uh, Apple, Mac, or Apple Windows, or Linux. Adobe Flash or Adobe Acrobat was number two. VMware Player was number three. So if you were running something inside a VM, you are more vulnerable than if you weren't. Uh, Java was number four. Apple was number five with QuickTime, Safari, and iTunes. Actually, Semantic uh, Antivirus Products was number six. Trend Micro Office Scan was number wait, seven. Wait, 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 wait. We, we can't let that go. So, Norton, well, I'm reading them all. Norton Semantic Antivirus was number six in the ways people get infected by viruses? Uh, in the most reported vulnerabilities in 2008. So they reported more vulnerabilities, and I would assume the article didn't really go into it, but they issued more patches. So yeah, and number seven was Trend Micro Office Scan. So security companies are number six and seven on the list of vulnerabilities from four years ago now. Uh, and then Citrix, and then this company I never heard of, followed by Skype. Yahoo and MSN Messenger was actually rounded out the top 12. So, you know, that none of those were the operating system. And, um, of course, Windows had a ton of vulnerabilities reported. Apple reported vulnerabilities, and I'm sure there were ones for Linux. And in 2010, let's read the list from November of last year. These are the applications, in-user applications, that reported the most 
vulnerabilities. Number one was Google Chrome. They reported 76. Uh, I think that was cumulative over the past year. Apple Safari was number two, and they reported 60. Uh, number three was Microsoft Office at 57. Number four was Adobe Reader at 54. Number five was Firefox, uh, which is over 50. And then you get down to Sun, Adobe, Internet Explorer, Real Networks, which if you're running that, you deserve to be infected. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. And then Apple, Apple and Adobe round out to the top 12. But so all of the, this is to say that if you're running Google Chrome, they reported more vulnerabilities last year than either Firefox or Internet Explorer. And now, that's would- not to say... Here, I would ahead. posit that the reason Apple came in at the bottom is not that they didn't have any, but that they didn't report them. Well, Apple Safari was number two at 60, and then uh, Apple WebKit was number 10, and that's what they designed, I think, for iTunes, and then Apple QuickTime was number 12. So they placed three products in the top 12. So, yeah, and that's not to say there aren't any more. Those are just the ones they've reported. Um, so here goes. Uh, whether you're running Linux, whether you're running a Mac, or whether you're running, running Windows, Google Chrome, you can be have a totally secure OS and get infected because something targeted Google Chrome. Um, so the important thing is just because the OS you have, especially in a Web 2.0 world, the applications you run are equally important to protect you. Now, just you know because funny something, about that? Uh, well, just a second, Chris. Just because something reports a vulnerability doesn't necessarily mean that a user running that is in danger, right? So, uh, Chrome was seventy-six reported uh, vulnerabilities reported in a year. They report that because they fixed it, or or that right. they're going to fix it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that Chrome is the least secure browser. And in fact, it's probably the other way around because they're finding and fixing their their problems. Yeah, and that's, you know, because Google or Google abandoned the numbering system, you know, I mean, like Chrome is up to what version 400 now. <laughs> um, they're all, every time you turn it on, it's got to update to a new version. So they're constantly updating. Um, but yeah, that is a good point. But the, 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 another important thing to note is no, uh, no piece of software is probably 100% secure. So any there could be a vulnerability. Now, that's not to say don't ever get online. It's just don't think, oh, I'm using this software. It's different from that software. Therefore, I'm safe. Chris, I cut you off. What were you going to (laughs) say? I was going to say, you know, this is kind of on topic, but off topic a little bit. But I kind of had to laugh when you guys were bringing up the vulnerabilities because it reminded me, my my mother is running um, Ubuntu Linux. And She's got Adobe Flash and all that, and Java installed and all that stuff. And she got infected with that Facebook worm that was running around. And it was really funny at the time because the pop-up box was Windows. It said, you know, you have 7,000 Windows registry errors. And it, it just made me laugh when I, when I saw all this. When, you know, I was looking at it and I was reading it. I was trying to figure out where, you know, how it was infecting itself. And how it happened was is it came down through a flash vulnerability. And when it executed itself, Wine picked up the executable. And so Wine then was infected and was displaying all the pop-ups. Now, isn't that kind of odd? Yeah, that's, you know, that... (laughs) You Linux people have gone out of their way to make it possible to run Windows apps 
on their system, which means they can also run win- uh, Windows vulnerabilities, Windows uh, uh, viruses. But what was funny is, like I said, it would pop up, and you you could click on it, you could try to infect yourself deeper, but because the Windows DLLs weren't there that it needed to infect itself, it just sat there and then cycled. It was funny. Yeah, and like our company, we have since moved to a different website uh, design, but we were using an older version of Joomla, and our website got hacked through an exploit that existed in that version of Joomla. So you could have been 100% secure, but it had you gone to our website. And it was really weird because it only happened the first time for every IP. So the first time you go there, it attempts to infect you. If you go back, it won't, but it was only on that first attempt. And uh, it was kind of hard to find out because what they would do is they would take the URL and the whole command and then they would, I don't remember the right term, but they would basically, uh, crypt, um, I wish I, I tried to search for the right term and I, I didn't even know what to look for, but they would take it and hash it or something. And then they would hash it again. So you don't know what you're looking at, but I found this website that would decode PHP. And when I ran it, it showed me what it was and then I had to go through and clean up several thousand PHP files. But uh, so, you know, that's the thing where you didn't do anything wrong, but the website you went to got hacked. Uh, and that happened. And you called your friend Mark and he gave you a text program that went through and yes. replaced the code on every page in all the subdirectories. Handy find file and replaced because I did a few of them. And I went, this is going to take forever. Mark, do you know an easier way? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that that type of a problem is running rampant. There was a thing with uh, some of the ad servers that are were on MSN and Facebook that got infected, and we're doing the same thing. Yes, yeah, that uh, Liza Moon virus. Yep. Uh, and and I think what that says is that the end user machines are becoming harder targets, so people are moving on to servers. Uh, that are that are maybe not quite as locked down as they should be. Again, yeah, because because in our case, you know, the person who was in charge of the website was the person in charge of training teachers. So, um, you know, she's not a technician, although she's very smart and knows a lot of tech stuff. But she's not a programmer. She, you know, she's just there to update the website, but. And so we actually ended up hosting ours now. So some other company is in charge of making sure that our website doesn't get hacked. Yeah, and I'll say maybe dangerously that uh, the uh, website uh, software that we're running on elementopi.com, every time I log in, there's a box that comes up that says there are security updates. And I haven't installed them because when I looked at the instructions, the instructions were move everything out of the existing directory install the new version, and then copy back just the things that have changed. <laughs> that's a bit of a ridiculous upgrade process, for one thing. Wow. Uh, that's going to take hours. I'm going to have to bring the site down. I'm going to have to find the time to do it. So, uh, you know, their sites run dangerous like that for that reason, because uh, it's badly designed or somebody's not paying attention or both. Jeez. So, wow. <laughs> 4chan, please don't go hack us now. Please. I'm begging you. And, and you know what? I think what is one thing to note is that this conversation is pretty much the exact same conversation we would have with Windows or with Macs, is that they're not invulnerable and the end user is the best defense. Um, 
or the biggest weakness. I, right. Well, I mean, exactly. I when I wasn't working in my previous position in Texas, I was, you know, involved with all parts of it, and I actually one of the things that I was tasked to do was set up and install their Norton Enterprise Edition that they had had sitting on a shelf for two years. So I got it installed. <laughs> I got it pushed out to everybody. Was monitoring oh, it and everything, sorry. and uh, was not. It was really fun to install it. I had some training, some instructional videos, and it, everyone ended the same way. Blah 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 blah. This could take a very long time. <laughs> and they all did. Anyway, I managed to get it all working. It actually worked great once I got it installed. Uh, it pushed the virus um, definitions out to everybody. Downloaded them one time. Kept track of whether it was updating and everything. So, um, we had, in the five years I was there, we never had a virus in our network. Um, I managed to secure, you know, emails and everything. I say that we had a couple get on the network that were immediately found and cleaned. We never had a virus outbreak. But the first time I had one come up after I was, uh, got everything installed, I'm sitting there and I get an alert on my screen because I have the manager on mine and it says, computer such and such has a virus on it on drive A. And I was like, computer such and such, look to the right. My coworker sitting right next to me had just stuck a floppy disk in his computer that was given to us by the president of the company with his vacation photos on it that he wanted us to print on the high quality color printer at the office. And he had had, he had viruses at home that had gotten on the floppy, rode in his car, handed it to my 19 year old intern guy. He had stuck it in the computer and tried to infect us. And, but since he owned everything, I couldn't gripe at him too much. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the only time, that's the only way a virus would get into our network was that way. And so we had policies about you could not bring anything from home unless you owned everything. Well, and those of us who, who manage uh, corporate or large networks find that that's often the case. The way somebody brings in a virus is on their person, in their backpack, in their pocket, uh, yep. via USB key or whatever that way. Because you have your Boris firewall there that's that's got mm -hmm. you locked down there, and you've got your Active Directory policies, and that's locked down. But, uh, it's a uh, Boris box, Mark. Excuse me, your Boris box. Uh, <laughs> but um, if you don't have a metal detector at the door, uh, you still are vulnerable. It, it all comes down to the end user. Yep. We actually Speaking of end user stuff, it's kind of entertaining, that. Mark, that uh, after, on your recommendation on one of your uh, Tightwad Tech shows, we actually moved into a uh, Untangled box. And I was shocked at the, uh, you know, we're not in session right now, so it's just the administrators on the, uh, the network right now. And the amount of crap that has been blocked <laughs> is astounding. Right. Yeah, stuff you don't even realize is happening. Yep. Uh, Aaron, you were saying? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> I I read this article where a company was hired to uh, penetration test a, a network, and the way they did it was they created a special USB mouse with malware package in it and it has a promotion to, like, a vice president of the company. And so, you know, he thinks, oh, cool, I've got this mouse. So he plugs in the USB cord, and it infects and and the way it was designed, it waited a while before it sent out. But uh, it's just, again, the end user is very important, uh, you know, in security. I'm really going to say, story. Mark, was we actually had policy that you could get written up if you brought a CD from home or at that time a floppy disk from home and put it directly in the computer without bringing it to us, to my department first. And, we'd, you know, we would bring it, we would stick it in the computer and scan it. 
which is the exact same thing as putting it in the other computer because we had the same antivirus on this computer that right. we scanned it with manually that the other one was automatically scanning, but it made our bosses feel better for us <laughs> to sign off on it that we had, we had scanned it. All right, so um, let's round this out uh, by each of you come up with two tips. Who wants to go first? Because the other two have some time to think. Come up with two end user tips because that's what we've said. It all comes down to the end user eventually. Two things you can do to be safer, to practice safe surfing. I'll go first. All right. Because I know the least. <laughs> I saw Chris raising his hand, so I had to jump in there. Um, number one, and Mark, you already said this, and Seth's already said it. I have some friends that send me links, just random things about things, things we have in common, you know, movies or whatever. If they don't tell me specifically in a way that I know they're referencing something we've talked about, I don't click on it, even though it's from a friend that I know is not going to send me something on purpose that's got bad stuff in it. So if Adam doesn't say, hey, here's the preview trailer for the new Warhammer Xbox game link, and I just get an email from Adam with a link, I won't hey, click on it. check this out. Yeah. yeah. I'll reply and say, what is it? <laughs> and he'll say, and I actually had, we had, I've had two people in the last year that I know that had their email accounts hacked that sent tons of crap all out to all their friends. In fact, I learned one of them. I was the first one to let him know, do you know you're sending out blah, blah? And he's, no, I didn't know. And uh, his, his actually was a Hotmail or Gmail account that somebody had hacked his password and just manually went over, took it over and changed his password and was just using his account. And uh, that was not good. So that's one. You said two. So that's one. Don't click on any link ever unless you specifically know it was sent to you and it's a real, true, actual, valid link. And two, never, ever, ever click on any button on any pop-up that's ever presented to you by any application on any device you're at. <laughs> Including the close button. Yes. Yes. Amen. A, you can right-click the task manager button. and kill it that way if you have to. Right. All right, Chris. That's it. That's, that's my two. You have your hand up? <laughs> I do. I do have my hand up because I want to jump in here before you guys steal all the good ones. Um, he looks like Don upside down, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Update your antivirus product. And your your, your anti virus anti malware, either pay for it and and update it or set it automatically, but do it. I don't care if if you know Bob's your uncle, get your stuff done and get it updated. Um, that's the number one way you're going to defend yourself is having your antivirus and anti malware system updated. Uh, I had a machine come into my shop; it had um, malware bytes on it. With the definitions from 2009. Nice. <laughs> so there's been three you know, or four uh, viruses made since then. Yeah, yeah, I would say just a couple. Uh, the other one is, besides making sure your stuff is updated, you know, put a router in your home. You know, even if it's just you in one machine, put a router in your home. It'll save you headaches. Very good, Seth. Okay, well, my two are going to be pretty much uh, platform agnostic. The first one is a link, which I put under my consumer tips if you want to add it to the um, show. It's called. It's from this company called Securi, and what it, what it does is you will put a website URL in there, and then it can scan it and tell you if that website is clean or not. The way I verified that, our, that I cleaned up the hack on our website was I – 
scanned it with this and it showed up clean. And this is also the site I used to find out exactly how I was infected in the first place. So they have a paid service. If you want to, uh, if you host a website, you know, you might want to look at using them, but just, if you're like, I don't know if I want to go to this link or not. Well, you can put it in here and scan it before you go to it to tell you, and it will, it won't tell you, you know, whether it's good or bad, but it will say that website is hacked or not. So, um, it's security, I believe is how you pronounce the name of the company. And the second is a great security tip. Do not use, like, if you register for, say, Facebook, um, don't use the same password on Facebook that you use for the email account you use to register with Facebook. Because if your Facebook account gets hacked and they can figure out your password, the first thing they will try to do is try it on the email account you use to register. So you want to segment your security that way. You know, don't use the same password for all your websites. All right. And I will do uh, a, a corollary to that one. Change your passwords. Pick, pick a date. Um, uh, 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 daylight savings time uh, twice a year change all your passwords it, it, that's a pain in the butt right but do it because like Seth said if somebody gets a hold of a password and you haven't changed it since you were 15 years old um, think of how many times uh, somebody could have used that and you wouldn't know and and, and most people do tend to use things um, um, for different sites use something like LastPass that makes that easy to do um, I don't get any money from LastPass because it's free, but uh, that's a great tool. Um, so I'm not even going to count that my tip. That's a correlator, corollary. Um, my tip, my number one tip for Windows users particularly, don't use IE or Outlook. Just don't. But I might even go so far as to say don't use whatever the default is on whatever your operating system is because that's the big target. That's what everybody's going for. So if you're on Mac and, and uh, you know, don't use Safari on Mac for the same reason. Uh, use Firefox or Chrome. Um, and tip number two uh, would be the thing that just left my head at the end of that sentence. It'll come to me, I promise. Well, while you're thinking about that, I have I have a, uh, an idea, a, a question to post to you because um, – my friend Bob at work, we've had some discussions about changing passwords because we have to do that every six months at work by, by policy. Not every six months, every three months. And he is of a mind, and we can roundtable it real quickly here at the end of the show, that changing arbitrarily changing your password when the time changes once this, every six months, twice a year, whatever, is really of no use because once they, if they ha if you change your password today, and they hack your account tomorrow, changing it today didn't help. And if they don't hack it until nine months from now, um, and you change it two days before, then it doesn't help. And if you don't know they've done it, and you change it, wait three months to change it, it doesn't help. Usually you're, you know your password's been hacked because people start doing illicit stuff on it, and at that point you really need to change your passwords, which you should have one that they can't hack anyway. But before that, Arbitrarily changing it doesn't make it any more secure because either they have it or they don't have it. And that is not that. true. I say that it is totally not true um, because, for one, you can attempt to log on to Google from anywhere in the world. So somebody in China can get your Google, your Gmail account, and he can just start running password attempts on it. And number two, suppose you have on some website 
that got cracked. Um, if you change your password since then, even if they got that information, you would be secure. So, so you're that's saying, but why. that's only if if you use the same password on every site. But no, if you change them all, you know, because suppose I use, let's say I use eBay or I use uh, PayPal to buy something uh, five years ago, and then I haven't used them since. And this year, somehow something happened and my account got compromised. Well, because I've been changing my password every six months, that password they got is no longer what I would use to access it. Because they well, if, if you would have changed it six months ago, they would have gotten it. They would have gotten well, a new it, password. If the That's transaction is what got compromised, perhaps you know the transaction is what got compromised. I don't know. I'm just saying that I think. Um, <laughs> I think. I think he has. A, I think he has a valid point, though. It's kind of contrary to popular thinking. But if it, if the only reason that it would be beneficial to change it, and tell me if I'm wrong, is if they got your password. And then didn't use it for a period of time and then began to use it. Or, or they used it in a way that you didn't know it. they do it. Right. right. Just because That's, you don't know it doesn't mean they're not using it. Right. Uh, and so I would say that, uh, no, is it going to make uh, a, an insecure person secure? No. Will it make a secure person more secure? Yes. The less time a password is out there, the less opportunity there is for it to be hacked. Now, I wouldn't change every password every six months. I, let me let me crawfish a little bit about that. That's just crazy. <laughs> You're, um, you know, something that um, ha- never has access to any payment information or, or any sensitive information. Um, no, don't worry about that one. Uh, your, you know, but uh, your banking account, your PayPal, uh, your, uh, you know, anything that has a credit card attached to it, your Amazon. Uh, uh, website, something like that. Change those passwords because those are the high value passwords. Uh, if, but if, I, if I change it today and they hack it tomorrow, changing it yesterday didn't help me at all. No, but, it doesn't. But what's the harm? But Just suppose what happened was. <laughs> but suppose what happened was they were able to download the database. And even if the database is encrypted, they start running. What if their they password came to a tool. hole in the ceiling with some cables and they stopped right above the computer and they suspended themselves? So and both, then a drop of this, sweat landed on the desktop. With a lot of the, uh, a lot of the vulnerabilities that you hear where password where websites got hacked is the databases were stolen, and then they have these password cracking tools they run on those databases. So right. if you're you both arguing your account, what ifs. And, yeah. and Aaron, you're saying you're not more secure. I'm saying you you can't be less secure. You know, so uh, <laughs> do it. You know, it, it, yeah. It, it, I mean, it can't hurt exactly. It's like you know, I've I haven't been in a car accident in the last 15 years, but I still wear a seatbelt every time I go somewhere. So, you know, do I have to? No, because I've never been in a car accident. Why would I need to? I've, every time I've gotten in the car and put a seatbelt on, that's been a waste of time. It's uncomfortable. It's it's pointless. I don't need to. But that one time it saves my life, I'm going to be glad I did. That one time you changed your password the day before they tried to hack it, you're going to be glad you did. Well, if you changed the day before they tried to hack it, then they hacked it, they would have your new password. So what you want to do is you want them to hack it today and you change your password tomorrow. Whatever. It- it just raises the bar. It. It Put doesn't. your seatbelt on, Aaron. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't think that's a real valid analogy, Mark. But that's okay. It's late. It I raises think. a bar. It doesn't like bolt the door. No. Okay. Maybe. So I don't know. Uh, let's move on from that, uh, Aaron. Since you're talking, 
Um, what is your noob discovery of the week? That if you change your password, <laughs> in other words, you don't have make one. it really long <laughs> and really short. I found that if, if I just go to the dictionary and open it and pick a word out of the dictionary, that's the best way to get a password. Um, I don't have. Uh, I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> don't listen to him. Yeah, <laughs> that is the worst way to pick a password. <laughs> Just let me rant for just a second about websites that don't allow uppercase special characters or numbers in their passwords. Uh, That makes me mad when I go someplace. um, uh, Spotify, just this last uh, week, I got a Spotify account invitation. I tried to create it. So I went on and created a a secure password. And and the, the most annoying thing there is that they don't tell you until after you put your password and hit the button. So put my password and hit the button. We don't allow uh, special characters. All right, so I went and took that out, uh, out and hit the button. We don't allow punctuation. All right, so I went and took that out and put it back. It has to be less than eight characters. Good grief, people. Why don't you just say you use, give me the list? use a four-letter dictionary word, please. Um, so not only is that incredibly insecure, but... I got a four-letter dictionary word for you, Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I your password it. is one two three four. Yeah, and you can't guard it well. It. <laughs> Please select your password from the following list. <laughs> password Jesus one two three four. <laughs> Keep out. Open up. Open Let sesame. Me uh, uh, Seth, why are you asking? <laughs> you got an end user tip of the week for us. Uh, yes, and actually this time it is targeted for Linux, so you should be happy. Okay. Uh, you don't have a Windows <laughs> tip this week? No. You ran out um, of Windows tips, huh? I did, so I moved on to Linux finally. Uh, okay, whenever you're using a Windows product, however, here's the tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, in Windows, I use this product called Notepad. Uh, what do I use in Linux? So I have put a couple of websites in the show notes. One is called linuxalt.com. And the other one is linuxquestions.org with a bunch of stuff after it, where it tells you the Windows app and then one or more Linux apps that does the same or very similar thing and with someone like the description of what it is. So, for example, if you use Microsoft Office, looking on LinuxQuestions.org, you can use OpenOffice or KOffice or one called Sciag Office. Um, I think these might be a little old, um, but... I thought they were pretty cool. If you use Outlook, maybe try something called Thunderbird. Um, if you use Quicken, there's a, pro dam- a program called uh, GNU Cache. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that was pretty cool. It's like I used to use this program in Microsoft. What is something that will get me the same results in Linux? There's a couple of URLs for you. I'll add one to that, alternative2.net. T-O, not the number two. Hmm. Um, site that does the same sort of thing. Okay. That's a, those are both useful sites. Mr. Godfather of the command line, what is our command line tip of the week? F-disk. Watch your language, young man. <laughs> <laughs> um, this can be used in numerous ways, but this the, one, the, the switch I'm going to be talking about today is L. So it's F-disk L, and then the disk that you're trying to look at. What it'll do is it'll list your partition's and it'll tell you how full they are. Something and if you hand- don't know where the disks are, just FDisk-L will tell you what disks are on it. I've used it for that um, uh, a number of times. If I don't know if it's on SDA1 or, or whatever. Yep. FDisk can also 
seriously F your disc. So be careful. Yeah. Definitely be careful with this, with this one, but it is a good tool to get your hands into, especially if you're trying to figure out where all your space is going. Right. That's a good one. Anybody, anybody ever use Spacemonger? There's a tip for you. That's an awesome one. Spacemonger is awesome. It is fantastic for cleaning up a, a drive that's running out of space. I'm not familiar with that one. It, it gives you, um, let me go back around to normal. I just had to see Chris right set up while he was talking for a minute. <laughs> it, what it does, Mark, you, you, uh, it's a super small, I mean, a few kilobyte application. You can stick it on a thumb drive. Or you can run it remotely. So, like, you can just have it in a directory on your computer, be on another computer, point back at that directory, fire it up, and then you can say, um, give me a readout on the C drive. And it gives you a graphical interface, uh, graphical display of, the folders and subfolders as like buckets. So like the windows folder will be a big square. And then within it, it'll have the system 32 folder. Then it has another little folder, another folder, and you can see, and you can see the amount of free space you have. So you can find really quickly that windows update file that didn't get deleted after it was supposed to. That's 800 meg. That's taken up a big chunk of your drive without doing a big search and trying to find it. And so you can just go, I want to get rid of this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, delete, 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 delete. Okay, now I've got uh, showing my free space now. Okay, it's great. We we use that a lot of times on if we've got some kind of server drive that's running out of space and we don't know if it's got old backups, database backups that we could kill, things like that without having to do a big search. So space monger. Aaron had your back, Seth. He brought a Windows app to the Linux show. So I think Thanks, it may Aaron, be available. I appreciate for it. <laughs> I think I'm going to say that it is and pretend that it might be. All right, guys, and uh, so this is uh, the point where we tell people where they can find out more about us. Uh, and if you haven't been uh, watching the show, by the way, on video, uh, all these references to Upside Down, uh, Chris has been standing on his head the whole time. His his camera, uh, for some reason, is showing us showing him upside down, um, and I think it's because he's uh, running Windows. If he just put that uh, <laughs> put Linux on that machine, he wouldn't have any problem with it. Uh huh. Sure. <laughs> so, if you want to find out more about these four goofy guys and uh, maybe feedback to us, as Chris uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show, let us know what's going on. You can do that at uh, elementop.com. We've got forums there. We've got uh, other great shows. Um, of course, Sean thinks they're all great shows. He has to say that at the end of every one of them. Uh, and uh, we just a uh, good fun stuff there and a website uh, primed for the hacking. Uh, so find us there at elementop.com. Uh, you can send us email at uh, edl at elementop.com. You can tweet us at twitter.com slash elementop. Uh, and then there's a Twitter list there where that will list all of our Twitter feeds. So you can follow, follow all of us or facebook.com slash elementop. Uh, anything I left out, guys? I think that I think covers that's it. it. Yeah. Okay. Or the Google Voice. Oh yes, uh, on our website. Oh yeah. Uh, the the phone number is five three zero frugal two. The number two, uh, or you can go right there to our website and on the top right panel, there's a call us button. Uh, call in, leave a voicemail, and uh, we will play it on the show, um, even if it isn't all that interesting. Um, I want to challenge some of the other Element OP hosts to call and leave us <laughs> feedback because I was nice <laughs> enough to call and leave you feedback. There you go. Um, I, I got to bring in. up one thing, though, because I did I did plug uh, the SE Linux Demystified. I got to thank Scott Doddle out of the Montana Linux.org uh, site. Um, he's the one who did that video. So if you guys do go watch it, be sure to comment and tell me you heard it from us. Okay, cool. 
And well, if you guys have no other comments, I think that we'll just end this episode of Everyday Linux. 